1: I want to say hello and good morning to our listeners from around the world. I want to welcome you to another edition of This Morning with Solivity broadcasting live from our studio right here in the nation's capital, D.C., and on KMET 1490 AM radio in Southern California. My name is Brian Wesley Johnson, and again, I am so glad that you're here with us. We have a fantastic show uh, coming up for you today. It's going to be deep. It's gonna be powerful. It's gonna be empowering. But before we get to it, I wanna also introduce my amazing co-host, Sheila Applegate and Dr. Chanel DeGuzman. Good morning to both of you.
3: Good morning. Good morning.
1: <laughs> um, man, a lot has happened during <clears throat> excuse me, a lot has happened during the week. Um, I mean, phew, I mean, this mm. has been a big powerful week for a lot of things happening when people get mm. indicted and <laughs> and convicted and, you know, all kinds of other things. Um, um, But today we're going to talk about something very important and we're going to be introducing our very special guest in just a second and our topic. Um, how has the week been for both of you? Dr. Chanel, how about you go first? Because I know Sheila's been on. Hard.
0: You know, Brian, it's been a strong week. Um, Sheila, we Are settling into now the decision being made for my son going to U of M. We talked about that last week. He's today headed to Cozumel, Mexico for his high school senior cruise. They're going on a cruise. Wow. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm on this six day journey for working out my second week. So I'm having a fantastic, strong week. All
1: right. Yeah. I love it. Sheila, you had now I know you had a fantastic day yesterday because you did this this great workshop. How did that go? I
3: did. Oh, the workshop was wonderful. It was a mastermind class on soul love and the new paradigm of partnership. And it was it was great. It's based in um, the person who hosted it is in Europe. So there was a lot of people from around the world. And that's always fun.
1: Oh wow. Well, I just want to remind people who may have signed up for that class. There is that yet people can still see a replay of that, right? That's free. Yeah, it's
3: up for okay. twenty four hours free. So from one o'clock Eastern yesterday to today. And then you can join the master class platform. And it's only seven dollars a month. Wow. I know. Wow, that's a cool wow. Talk a
1: little bit more about that. Um, Well, listen, um, we have a fantastic guest today. And um, I was talking to him yesterday and a lot in common, and not just in terms of our, our experiences, but also in our passion for serving people, including our family. And so I wanted to introduce to you the amazing Kevin Fisher, who is the executive director of NAMI Michigan. And if you're not familiar with NAMI, NAMI is the nation's um, largest grassroots mental health organization. The name is National Alliance of Mental Illness. And it's dedicated to building better lives for millions of Americans that are affected with mental illness. Now, Kevin started out as a businessman, but joined uh, NAMI in uh, 2011 uh, as a volunteer after his oldest son, Dominique, was diagnosed with mental illness in late 2007, and was lost to suicide in 2010. Now, after he served on the the, the Michigan NAMI Michigan Board of Directors as the NAMI Walks chairperson for two years. And as board president, vice president for two years, Kevin accepted the role of executive director in 2014. You know, as a mental health and suicide prevention advocate, Kevin is the founder and director of the Dominique Fisher Memorial Foundation and the CEO of EverybodyVersusStigma.com. He's also the president of Crisis Intervention Team International and a member of the Michigan Governor's Suicide Prevention Committee and there's, there's so many more prestigious organizations that he is part of that I can't get to because we don't have enough time. Um, but I will say this. He was quoted as saying this is his last job, his last fight, because Kevin is dedicated to eliminating the stigma stigma of mental illness, which he considers the leading barrier to the early diagnosis and treatment, which leads to better outcomes for all. So with that... Kevin, it's my pleasure to have you here, mm-hmm. brother. I mean, I've been waiting for this for a minute. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Sheila and
2: Chanel. Um, thank you for inviting me. And you're, you're right, Brian, this is a powerful conversation. Um, and and I'm excited to be here. Wow. Um.
1: I guess my first question is, you know, we talked a little bit about how you got into this fight with, your son being diagnosed. Can you go into a little bit more about that and how that relates to stigma?
2: Yeah, you know, as you and I discussed yesterday, I'm angry, and and, and I'm very uh, I'm very transparent and honest about that. I'm angry about losing my son. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. angry about not knowing more. Um, to do to help him when when Dominique was diagnosed I quickly learned how ignorant we are and I say that respectfully not just about myself and my family but as a society we are to mental illness to mental to, to the treatment of mental illness to the availability of resources and how we can help our loved ones who are experiencing mental illness and and so that anger is fuel for me though um, you know, I am I am powered now by love. I'm powered um, by passion, but I'm also powered by that anger for not having the knowledge um, to be able to help my son more. And that ties into stigma in terms of, you know, stigma is debilitating. Uh, stigma, you know, people always ask me what what does stigma mean. Stigma is a mark of disgrace uh, on a person because of a circumstance or some kind of situation that we tend to make them feel like this was their fault, their choice, and we make them feel less than. And stigma is so powerful that it will, it is the barrier that stops people from first seeking mental health treatment, because we don't want anybody to know. We don't want our friends and neighbors, but It also in our situation with Dominique, he was already in treatment and he was doing well. Yes. But when he became stigmatized, when family and friends started treating him differently, Mm -hmm. he stopped participating in his treatment. He stopped taking his medication. He stopped going to therapy and he started self-medicating with marijuana and alcohol. And three months later, my son was gone. Mm, mm, so that's yes. how powerful stigma is. Stigma kills.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, mm. Wow, Chanel, did you have a question?
0: Well, first of all, I you know just have to acknowledge. So Kevin is a lifelong brother, friend of our family, and so having you know witnessed some of this and um, the aftermath, Kevin is you're such a strong, I was just say warrior uh, in this fight, and definitely understand the anger that continues to fuel you. But I'm so glad that there's love and passion that surrounds that anger, um, you know, in your fight. And along with Sonia, um, you know, I could go in so many different directions, Kevin. I think recently I can say that we did have a, t- a show on girls in suicide. And so I don't know if you can speak to our young people Um, the continuing escalation of suicide among our girls in particular. Um, If you want to maybe share a little bit about what's happening and the escalation of their suicide rates.
2: Yeah. And I'm really concerned about this, um, Chanel, because in the last two years, the greatest increase in suicide is amongst teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, And heavily in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. So I think last year, the suicide rate for teenage girls increased by eight percent. And if we if we want to put that in perspective, since 1999, the suicide rate for the general population increased by about 30, about 33 percent. In the African-American community, it increased by over 78%. Mm-hmm. And a large percentage of that is teenage girls.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes back to, because we also talked about this, Brian and Sheila, about mental health being a contributor, obviously, to these increased suicide rates. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sheila?
3: Well, just talking about that and the variation of um, statistics that you had and the increases, can you go a little bit further into the stigma and maybe how that affects people um, by communities and cultures? So, you know,
2: mental illness doesn't discriminate, doesn't care if you're black, white, rich, poor, gay, straight, uh, Republican, Democrat, that doesn't uh, it, it just doesn't discriminate. Neither does stigma, but stigma mm. does vary by community and culture. Mm-hmm. The stigma associated with behavioral health disorders in, in the African-American community, for example, is much different than it is in the Caucasian community. It's different than it is in the Muslim community. It's different than it is in the Hispanic community. Stigma does, in fact, vary by culture and community. And we have to acknowledge that if we Want to make any progress? Because we have to understand there is no one size fits all solution to this. Right. Um, and and for those of us of color, um, and I'm going to age myself a little bit,
4: <laughs> uh,
2: just just to, just to to make a, a point about the stigma. Those of us that remember the movie Soul Food. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If if you remember the movie Soul Food, there was a uh, character, Uncle Pete. Who they mm-hmm. kept in the back room at
4: big mama's mm-hmm. house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: that is very stereotypical of yes. how we engage with people in mental illness in our families we hide them
4: mm-hmm.
2: and mm-hmm. and in that scenario the family did what they thought was right. Uncle Pete wasn't out in the street hurting anybody and Uncle Pete wasn't being hurt by anybody. He was housed, he was fed, he was clean. He, he was, was safe. Clean. Yeah, he was safe, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but here, here's the missing part and all that's great, but here's the missing part. What if Uncle Pete wanted to have a life? What right. if Uncle Pete wanted to have a family? Right. What if Uncle Pete wanted to go to school or go to church? Mm-hmm. We've deprived, Not only have we deprived Uncle Pete of that by not getting him treatment, But what about the effect it had on Big Mama's house? I mean, Big Mama's life, because I've had this real life scenario um, that I've had to deal with folks over the last few years. And I've had mothers who are in their 80s saying, look, I got this 55 year old son Mm -hmm. who's seriously mentally ill living in my house and I don't have a life. I can't leave. I'm a prisoner in my home because if I leave, he might wander off and somebody might hurt him or he might hurt somebody. And so they come to me and they say, can you find me a solution? Because I only have a little life left and I want my life back or who's going to take care of my child after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that stigma is a big deal and it varies by community and culture. And really quickly, you know, Brian and I were talking yesterday, stigma associated with mental illness in some communities is so severe that you lose social status Um, Mm -hmm. I I spoke with uh, a lady uh, here a couple years ago who told me even her children disowned her when they found out she had a mental illness. Only her husband stood by her. The rest of her family walked away.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow.
2: That's hard. hard. Mm -hmm. You
1: you know, um, let's dig a little deeper into this, because I want really want to make sure that people understand what does what does stigma really look like? Right. What is it? How does it show up? Why is it a barrier? Um, And and then maybe we can turn toward, you know, some what what the crisis models are. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have more with Kevin Fisher from NAMI, Michigan, because we're this is all about people feeling empowering people to know they're not alone and where they can get some help. So we'll be right back in about a minute or so. Have you ever
4: asked the question if I was to be anything, what would I be, regardless of money, regardless of status, beyond popularity and fame? Living your passion, feeling your life has purpose. So, Liberty is a space to nurture that which lives in all of us, a place where work can become play, and doing what we love creates the dreams of a lifetime.
1: And we're back with more of this morning with Solivity with our very special guest, uh, Kevin Fisher from NAMI, Michigan. Um, We're talking about stigma and mental illness today. Um, Before we begin, I just wanna throw up some quick statistics uh, that I found from the National Institute of Health and the Centers for Disease Control. Um, Only 16.5% of individuals with depression worldwide seek help. Uh, And stigma around mental health is one of the primary reasons. Over 50% of individuals were experience a mental health disorder in their lifetime. I mean, that blew me away. Mm-hmm. And more than 30% held the stigmatizing belief that a weak personality causes depression. And this is from a study in 2018 that surveyed over a thousand participants. So this is not something that is just, you know, hearsay or you know, we're just making up. There are a lot of statistics that are here, and that's the reason why we're talking about this today. Uh, Kevin, uh, w- before we continue on, let's make sure that we're making the distinction between mental health and illness and stigma itself. So, what say you, my brother? So, you know.
2: It's interesting. One of the benefits that's come out of the pandemic is we're talking more about mental yes. health and mental yes. illness. Yes. Part of the problem is that those two different things are, are, are being intertwined. And so we all have mental health. Mental health is an important part of our overall health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't all have mental yeah. illness. Mental illness is a medical diagnosis and it's the product of an interaction of biological, psychological, and social factors. So mental illness can be hereditary. Mental illness can be triggered by trauma. Mental illness can be triggered by substance use. Mental illness can be triggered by so many things. We don't know all the causes for mental illness, but but we have to be careful and and recognize that mental illness and mental health are two different things. And we always want to promote good, strong mental Mm -hmm. health, Mm -hmm. our our ability to cope with our daily responsibilities, you know, meditation, uh, whatever we do for self care. Those are all important components of our mental health that we need to value as much as we do what I call our other physical Mm -hmm. health.
1: Wow. Um, Let's talk about how stigma shows up, right? I mean, we kind of talked about it more broadly in the first segment, but you and I, you know, again, we, we were talking yesterday about this, about the, you know, when a person goes into crisis, which is this more severe case, right? How does yeah. How does stigma become a barrier to that person getting help, the help that they need? Do you have a couple of examples?
2: Yeah. And, and really quickly, you know, stigma shows in a lot of variations. For example, uh, in my experience with Dominique, when people found out about his diagnosis, they just treated him differently. And basically they withdrew from his life. <laughs> you know, if a person tells you that they're diagnosed with cancer, you get casseroles mm-hmm. you get fundraisers, <laughs> right. the church praying for mm-hmm. you all of that love and support but if that same person comes and says i'm living with depression or i was just diagnosed with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia mm-hmm. everybody heads for the back mm-hmm. door mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. people
2: leave you and it's not with malice it's with fear mm-hmm. it, it it is that stigma and you know stigma is so powerful because it's something Mental illness is something we don't understand. That's why I say we're ignorant to it, and I mean that respectfully. But that's the that's the term.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so you have cases where, as I mentioned, Dominique's friends withdrew. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was telling you know Brian and I were talking yesterday, and I told him one day um, my wife Sonia and I watched Dominique on the phone, and he was just for hours. He was just calling person after person. I thought he got a job as a telemarketer. Mm-hmm. Wow. He was calling friends, people he grew up with, people who he played football with, and they and they wouldn't return his calls, and it, and it was it was heartbreaking for him. But it was heartbreaking as a parent to say, you know what? Had my son been a jerk to people his whole life, I'd understand mm-hmm. people not returning mm-hmm. calls.
4: Mm-hmm. I would not
2: but Dominique and, and Chanel knows my son. Mm-hmm. Domin- Chanel was like Dominique aunt, mm-hmm. so she knows his personality mm-hmm. and his character. Dominique was literally, and I'm not trying to put my child on a pedestal uh, or like he was some angel. Dominique was literally the person who would sit next to the kid on the school bus by himself. Mm-hmm. And because Dominique was a jock and he was one of the star athletes, he'd have the rest of the team come sit with him. Mm-hmm. too. He had the rest of the team sit with him in the lunchroom. So that was heartbreaking. But let's go further with stigma. Stigma affects uh the availability of behavioral health care services we we call it racial disparities Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stigma is so powerful that it affects the decisions that are made professionally about where we will have access to behavioral health care if it's funded how it's funded you know a lot of us and i'm not going to be a hypocrite Mental illness became really important to me. And I, and I, was, I had a minor um, psychology minor when I was in college. So it was always something on my radar. But it really became important to me when it affected my life directly, when it affected my son. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases when decision makers, because I work with legislators all the time, both at the local, state and federal level. If they haven't been directly impacted by mental mm-hmm. illness, they don't take mm-hmm. it very seriously mm-hmm. when it comes up for funding. Mm-hmm. When we say we need more resources a psychiatric beds, that's not a priority for them until it hits their family. Mm-hmm. And then it's, that's when we have that. Oh, my God moment. Where did all the services go? How, how can you help my loved one? So that's the power of stigma. Right.
1: Wow. Wow. I'm, my heart's just breaking. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Oh, Chanel, go ahead.
3: No, go ahead, Sheila. Well, I'm just feeling the heartbreak. I mm-hmm. the beginning of my um, career and my education is in me- working as a psychotherapist in mental illness. And then I moved more into the mental health and meditation side of it. But so I can see faces and remember, you know, the people who are going through this. I've been curious about, I know you're doing a lot of advocacy and I've been noticing now a little bit from the outside that there's this really dichotomy that's going on where I see a lot more access to help through the social media and like talking about it. But then I also see all these like false diagnosis that everybody's making now. And I'm just wondering, like, what is all that like, and how do you weave through that as you get the truth out to people?
2: It's really concerning. So in, again, I'll use the last three or four years since the pandemic, there's been an explosion of online behavior health resources. And we are really concerned about mm-hmm. that. We're, we're concerned that people are self-diagnosing based on information they see on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that. Right. You, you simply can't do that. That is not smart. That's not healthy. Um, the other concern we have is that with all of these uh, virtual resources, you know, call this number uh, kind of deal, we're concerned because you really have to investigate them. Now, we we learned through the pandemic that teletherapy can be effective. But it's not, again, it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Teletherapy doesn't work for mm-hmm. everybody. Some A lot of people need to be seen in person, especially people with serious mental illness that requires medication and those kinds of things. But the other thing is a lot of these online organizations that are popping up, we're finding out they don't have a behavioral health professional on staff.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: They're, make, they're literally, and, and I'll, I'll just be mm-hmm. blunt, they're making it up as they go. They're making stuff up in the basement. And what people have to understand is you are dealing with people's lives. Right. Yes. This is literally affecting the quality of life or, or in some cases whether a person lives or dies if you don't give people the right information about their mental health we lose people like we lost my son Mm -hmm. so so this is this is serious mental we have to take our mental health as seriously as we do as i say again our other physical health and i use that terminology because mental health is health there is no health without mental health Uh, we're talking about your brain Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And Kevin, what it made me realize and, you know, it just touched my heart because of Dominique, but, you know, to know the isolation and the alienation that he felt and so many people feel because people withdraw and I think they withdraw partly because of fear and then also just not knowing a response. They don't know what to do. They don't know. And so, yes, people withdraw and it is very alienating so i'll share personally which honestly you all i hadn't even thought about this until we were we were speaking um probably about five minutes ago but at my experience at the university of michigan it was extremely alienating so i went and i will date myself as well kevin i went (laughs) um in the 80s and that's when you were the only uh person of color in your uh lecture hall for example or in your study group etc and i remember walking down state street past the union with tears you know rolling down my face because i was so uh alienated i felt so isolated and i did end up being diagnosed with a um i don't remember the exact diagnosis but basically it was depression but it was not a severe case of depression but it got to the point where the, um, the counselor or the um, psychotherapist wanted to prescribe medication. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at
1: LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: And I will share with you, through the grace of God... When she wrote the prescription and I had the prescription, and then I also saw the effect I was having on my grandmother because my grandmother did not like to see me down and depressed. She started increasing her alcohol use Mm. um, because there was already an issue there. And once I saw that and then I got that prescription in my hand, I just said, I'm done with this. And I was able to change my circumstance, change my outlook. So whatever happened, it was a direct intervention from God. And I know it doesn't happen like that for everyone, but I just remember being so alienated and isolated. And so being able to surround yourself with people um, who can help, um, and then just recognizing that sometimes people just, they just don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. And I'm not giving people a pass.
3: Right. But what
0: I am saying is that um, people responses are so different.
2: You know, I'm sorry, really quickly, uh, because, Brian, you mentioned uh, you provided a statistic about depression and and Chanel's mentioned depression. You know, depression is one of those really scary terms that I think we have to Mm -hmm. talk about for just a Mm -hmm. second, because the term depression is so loosely and widely used that we tend to take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So let me put it in a real quick perspective. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Mm -hmm. Depression is also the leading cause of suicide Mm -hmm. worldwide. Mm -hmm. So we can't take depression for granted because it's a common term Mm -hmm. that we hear. We, We have to be really serious and intentional when a person is living with depression. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And and I think sometimes you know we talk about uh the difference between being depressed, which is just an emotional state and depression, which is a medical condition. Right? Mm-hmm. Um let's talk about, you know, you and I were talking about how does how do how does society respond, right, when a person is suffering from mental illness and you we I think we both came to the co- to the conclusion that it's always a crisis response. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that and then maybe tell us like what would be the ideal? Yeah,
2: so you know, unfortunately one of the one of the other misses we have is we have to be really intentional about the language we use. For example, whenever we lose someone to suicide at the end of the news report, the uh, the anchor or, or reporter will always say, "Now if you know what, someone who's in crisis, call now the number is 988, which is a great new avenue for mm-hmm. people. Before it was the 1-800-276-talk." But my point is this, the messaging That's received by the public is that we should wait until somebody's in crisis to get them help. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the absolute worst thing we can do. I call that a fail first model because now you're now you're in a situation where when we say crisis, most people think in terms of that's when a person is perceived of danger to themselves or others. We don't want to wait for that. We want to see. We tend to see that there's a building up. It's very rare that it's a spontaneous situation where now all of a sudden I'm a danger to myself or somebody mm-hmm. else. So when we see that building, and I experienced this with Dominique, I saw times when Dominique was getting outside himself. He was becoming more aggressive. He would, and I would take him to the crisis center, which was not the popular thing to do, mm-hmm. but I was trying to keep him safe and the people around him safe. And I guess all I'm saying is we need to be proactive about mental illness and mental health care Mm -hmm. rather than reactive. Don't wait until a person is in crisis because once you're in crisis, Mm -hmm. again, I call it a fail, a a fail first model. You are hoping that the person doesn't hurt themselves. Most of us don't know what else to do, but call the police Mm -hmm. I am also the president of CIT International, which is a collaboration between law enforcement, behavioral health care professionals, people with lived experience and advocates to try to create the safest response for people who are in crisis in the least intrusive manner and make sure we get people to help. Not hurt, not harm them, not criminalize them and take them to jail and not have to take them to the emergency room. So the earlier we intervene, the better the outcomes. And oh, by the way, if there are any politicians listening, it's also the least costly. Right. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> right. Right. Dollars and cents. And we've got we've got great data that show, for example, here in Detroit. If we intervene, if a person gets proactive mental health care from, let's say, community mental health, it costs on average about eight to nine thousand dollars a year. If that same person is put in jail, it costs us anywhere between eighty to hundred thousand dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. right so oh, we save money by being proactive yeah. not reactive
0: absolutely hey kevin you made me think of so it takes a long time sometimes to see the effects of the mental illness and it reminds me of adverse childhood experiences uh-huh. and so i know that about i believe it's over 70% right here in michigan people are still carrying around adverse childhood experiences trauma that goes unresolved, that could lead into depression and then lead into mental illness. Can you speak about the unresolved trauma that we carry from childhood?
2: Mm, mm, mm. You know, in addition to adverse childhood experiences or adverse life experiences, if if they go unaddressed, not only can they lead to uh, situations that are harmful to our mental health but not dealing with or resolving those that trauma hurts us physically there's great data out there that shows that adverse childhood experiences unresolved lead to greater rates of heart disease cancer Mm -hmm. stroke Mm -hmm. Uh, i always like to say in common terms if you don't deal with your trauma, it will deal with you and it, it will manifest itself in a physical form. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's not just a negative effect on our behavioral health going forward or our ability to form relations, healthy relationships. It manifests itself in physical ways as well. So we have to, we got to understand that it's as as the slogan says, it's OK not to be OK. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. It's
2: OK to have a therapist.
4: Yeah,
2: it really is. Some of the most powerful people I know go to therapy every week. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so So let's deal. And even for me, even this conversation, this is therapeutic for me. When Dominique died that first year, I didn't talk much about it. I kept it inside because I had three other children to deal with, and I thought they needed to see strong dad who still got up and made breakfast for them and lunch and did homework with them and, and, and all of that. But when I sent my kids off to school, they didn't know dad was balled up in the bed crying his eyes out all day, and I would clean myself up when it was time to go pick them up. And I put on a smile, and I cooked dinner, and I did homework, and I did all that stuff with them. Guys, I came within hours of taking my own wow. life. I really did. I, I got to a point and I prayed and I cried and I went to therapy and I was in support groups and I was doing all the stuff I thought I needed to do, but I was suppressing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was and it drove me to the brink. Um, and, and so we can't hold those things inside. They will hurt us.
0: Wow. Right. Um, Thank you for sharing that, Kevin.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, everyone, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, speaking of resources and support that is available for people, we're gonna talk about maybe a little-known law that created abundant resources for people around the country. And Kevin's gonna show and tell us about that and after we we'll get back. So we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with more of this morning with Six Years ago, when I started Solibity, My vision was to support everyone in improving their life through the discovery of their passion and purpose so they could become the best version of themselves, to battle fear and ignorance, and create a better world today. Get inspired to live your passion and purpose. Visit solivity.com now. Told you it was going to be quick. We're back with more of this morning with Solivity. We are talking about stigma and mental illness, and that you are not alone if you or a loved one are suffering in silence. Um, that there's resources for you, and one of those resources, Kevin, is something that a lot of people don't know about. Can you first talk about the law that was signed in that was signed by uh, President Joe Biden that was. Uh, crafted by uh, Debbie Stabenow and former Senator uh, uh, Roy Blunt?
2: Yeah, so it's called Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinics, or in the behavioral health world, we use way too many acronyms, (laughs) (laughs) C-C-B-H-C. So listeners, if you just Google C-C-B-H-C, Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinics, you will find this. It is, this is the most significant, useful, and I'm stressing useful here because it's available today. Mental health legislation since John F. Kennedy's uh, Community Mental Health Act of 1963. Um, CCBACs effectively provide behavioral health care for anybody, and I'm. And let me restate this high quality behavioral yeah. health care mm-hmm. for anybody who arrives at one of these designated behavioral health care um, providers, regardless of the severity of your diagnosis, regardless of your insurance status, regardless of your ability to pay. One of the reasons that people don't seek professional behavioral health care uh, because, is because they think they can't afford it. CCBHC takes that off the table. It is, as my kids call it, a game changer. So, in the state of Michigan, for example, there are 34 CCBHCs where you can walk into CNS Healthcare, Higera, uh, the Guidance Center, and you can receive high quality behavioral health care regardless of the severity of your diagnosis. Now, why is that important? Because in private practice, and to my friends who are uh, private pract- practitioners, I mean you no harm. But you can you can do what we call cherry. pick. You can you can choose your client. You can choose Mm -hmm. your patient. You can say, you know what? This case is too severe. I don't want it. Well, CCBACs can't turn anybody away. People are concerned about their insurance status. And here's what's really interesting. Most of us who have good jobs and have good benefits. Would like to think that if I or my family members experience a behavioral health crisis, I got great. I got Blue Cross. Mm-hmm. I got great insurance going to cover me. No. In many cases, you are better off being there are more resources available to you if you're Medicaid eligible mm-hmm. than if you have top of the line health insurance. Mm-hmm. Wow. The other. And so that's where regardless of your insurance status um, comes into play, because CCBACs don't care. And the other is regardless of your ability to pay. So you don't have to worry about that. And the other the other that's really significant here is, you know, because the mental health issue or mental illness is a crisis in the country. I hear lots of stories from people who say I can't get an appointment for six months, eight months, 12 months ccbhcs have to see you within two weeks and most of them get uh, have appointments scheduled for you within days if not same day mm-hmm. oh so it is powerful it is the best kept secret in america and it should not be i want to shout it from the mm-hmm. rooftops that this is available because it's life changing and life-saving availability to resources today now this is not coming in the future this is here and i absolutely salute uh, Senator Stabenow and former Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri, because this is a bipartisan um, product. We know, unfortunately, you know, we live in this bizarro. Uh, <laughs> <democratic>, right. <laughs> and so for them to be able to set all that aside and make this happen is absolutely monumental.
1: You, you know, when you told me about this yesterday, And we have information that we are put that we have in our chats um, and that um, there's even an information packet that you can download. We have the link there for that. When you told me about this yesterday, my mind was blown away because there's so much talk about the division and the adversity, especially here in where I live in the nation's capital, that there's so much of that noise that when something like this happens, you there's not enough room. There's not enough air. So we're going to make mm-hmm. sure that people know about this. And, mm-hmm. in, and in fact, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm just letting people know that um, Kevin, you're coming back. And <laughs> notice I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you, when <laughs> you to come back. I said you're coming back. I'm gonna wrestle you in the headlock. Like, no, you got you got 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 some got some height on me. Oh <laughs> man, I, I look forward to it. <laughs> because th- th- this is as you know, I mean we and everybody um on the show knows that um you know, my mother, my biological mother suffered uh from mental illness specifically with, diagnosed as manic depressive, which it would be now schizophrenia bipolar um disease that she suffered for basically almost her entire life. And n- that stigma stopped her and her family and others from getting her the support that she needed. I mean, we were my my brother and I were very very young at at when she was diagnosed. And so resources like this, resources like NAMI that are out here now that are trying to do the good work, we're going to do everything that we can to promote it to uh, bring more awareness. And let people know that there's help, that there's people that will support you. Um, any final words that you want to say around, around you know, stigma and mental, and mental illness and, you know, anything that you want to say? You know, please,
2: if you or someone you love is affected by mental illness, please don't let stigma be the barrier. When, when we say you are not alone, you're not more than a quarter of our society is affected by mental illness every year. You are absolutely not alone. Please treat your mental health as importantly as you treat your other physical health. If you were bleeding or experiencing shortness of breath, you'd have no issue saying, look, I got to go to urgent care or we're going to go to the ER. Let's do the same thing with our mental health. You can get an evaluation. It's nobody's business It's it, and, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. So,
1: please, take care of yourselves. Oh, man. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for the yeah, opportunity. And I again, really, you're coming yeah. back. <laughs> I, I ain't hearing no no, no maybe, or none of that. You're coming back on here, brother.
0: Well, uh, you know, there's just so much that we didn't get a chance to talk about. So, I'm so excited about just having the opportunity to continue to bring awareness and to provide resources. Um, so... Kevin, thank you so much.
2: (laughs)
1: Thank you. I look forward to it again. And Chanel, I'll see you (laughs) (laughs) soon. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have some final thoughts from all of us.
4: Have you ever asked the question, if I was to be anything, what would I be? Regardless of money regardless of status, beyond popularity and fame. Living your passion, feeling your life has purpose. solivity is a space to nurture that which lives in all of us. A place where work can become play, And doing what we love creates the dreams of a lifetime.
1: And we're going to go to some final thoughts. Uh, Sheila, you, you have any final thoughts?
3: Yeah, first of all, thank you to Kevin, because this was such an important show. And I did not know about CCBC. So I'm a little excited over here. Um, <laughs> and I will get that out to everyone I can. But there were a couple things that I wanted to say that kind of came out as the show went on. And one is um Kevin so graciously shared his feeling of um coming close to suicide. And I noticed in the way uh, he spoke about it, it was when he was starting to get a little bit better. And I think that that's a really important part to point out to people that we're at, people are actually more at risk of suicide when they're on the upswing because they have enough energy to commit suicide and take that action than when they're in the deepest spot. And that's not everyone, but I think that that's one of those aspects why it's so important to get help from people who can, um watch for those things versus what might be happening online right now, um, because there's little subtleties that we need to look for and make sure that we can support people in. And also the sooner the better. most people get um, diagnosed with the mental illnesses in at teenagers or older um, because that's when they take effect but or they become most prominent, but if you can get the help earlier, you could really take a much smoother path throughout the whole life.
1: Mm, Thank you for that, Sheila. Absolutely. Dr. Chanel.
0: I would just say again, as I put in the comments, I'm full, I'm so full because, and I'm grateful, you know, just to have Kevin as a phenomenal resource and advocate and a fighter for mental health and, he started talking about maybe some of the things that we can do and things that we've already talked about. So continuing to attend to your mental health, your emotional state is so important in being proactive and simple things like conscious breathing, uh, something that we do on the show before we go on air, Hmm. being able to be grateful and express your gratitude for the things that are right in front of you, like your loved ones and having some physical, Outlet, keep moving, you know, have movement so that you can. I like to say, I keep the charge off of me because I work out so I don't let things build up. And so we don't turn to, you know, external stimulants, for example, like my chocolate bar, right? So um, just being able to attend to our mental health is so important. And I'm so inspired by Kevin's work every time that I talk to him, especially as it relates to our young girls, and in particular, our African-American girls. So again, I'm, I'm very full.
1: Mm, thank you for that, Dr. Chanel. Um, my final thought may be uh, an aspect that, I, that I, I think that we don't talk about enough. And that is the resources that Kevin was talking about, and that we've been talking about uh, during this show, and that are out here are not only for the people that are affected by mental illness directly. Mm -hmm. They're also for the people who could be supporting those people, family, friends, you know, colleagues, work. You can call and you can reach out to those numbers and get support around how you could handle and how you can support those people. That's part of the bigger picture here, you know, if if everyone is knowledgeable and knows more about how to how to you know see signs of mental illness how to support people when they are going through that and supporting people as they get help and are getting better then the effects of stigma can die it can literally die
4: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
1: just want to want to remind people that that those resources are also available to you because that would be helpful for you to understand maybe what's going on inside of you internally and being able to heal that so you can help and support your loved one. So I just wanted to let, th- let mm-hmm. that be my final thought on
3: it. Can that. I say one more thing, With just a springboard yeah. off of that? When yeah. you call a place like the clinic, the CCBC, you don't have to know what's wrong with you. You just have to call Absolutely. and they'll figure it out. Exactly. You know? wow. yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Well, wow. What an important show. Really quickly just want to put up here um, that you can find out, uh, get some more help and support by contacting NAMI. um, And that's at uh, the NAMI.org. There's a home you can register to get regular information. You can contact support. You can also reach out to uh, the local uh, and regional NAMI uh, centers, including NAMI, Michigan, which is part of of, uh, where uh, Kevin is at. Um, Also, please use the information that we put in our chats today. I mean, um, information there. Um, Also, um, really quickly, um, Sheila, you've got some things coming up on the weekend. Just want to kind of really quickly talk about that with um, the Infuse
3: Your Finances with Joy live workshop that's coming up. Yes, I have a <laughs> Infuse Your Finances with Joy workshop coming up on Aspire, and that is 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern time, and I'm joined with Helena Goldstein from the Joy Keepers Network, and we're going to dive deep into finances and how we can approach them from a more joyful way.
1: And Dr. Chanel, as always, as part of this, you have some coaching sessions that you have available.
3: Absolutely. Just
0: continue to offer my complimentary coaching session so that we can start the conversation. We can find out where you are, where you want to go and find out what those gaps are. And it could include that unresolved trauma where we might refer you on, but at least we are starting a conversation. So always you have somebody to talk to.
1: Excellent. Well, we've got to go. We'll see you next time on This Morning with (laughs) Solivity. Affinity Global LLC. Any reproduction or republication of all or part of this is expressly prohibited unless Affinity Global LLC